Welcome to Ixnay, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the shallow end of the electorate as a means to gaming the 2020 election to our advantage. Turn on, tune in, vote out. Hey, all right now, another unbelievable week in the land of the free. And of all the headlines stuck in my craw, this one is simultaneously the least surprising and most disturbing. Federal law enforcement use unmarked vehicles to grab protesters off Portland streets. What the hell? Imagine reading about any other government sending paramilitaries to abduct people off the street, then claiming it's necessary to fight vandalism for fuck's sake. This new and decidedly American authoritarianism, literally secret police prowling our streets in disguise, combined with the Republican Party's general dedication to voter suppression and active disinformation is just ramping up, folks. We're in a dangerous time. Don't let them distract or force you into thinking this is normal. Trump must be defeated on November 3rd. And if you're still having a hard time mustering up the courage to get involved, how about let's do it for RBG? Previously on Ixnay. QAnon, that network of conspiracy theories, you know, the vast number of Trump supporters who believe in some aspect of QAnon haven't even heard of QAnon. Most of the people I spoke right. with, there's a, a core who knew what QAnon was, but there was a lot, they'd never heard of QAnon. I mean, they knew, of course, that the Democratic elite are practicing human trafficking. Everyone knows that. And they said, oh, you learned that from Q. And they'd be like, what? I don't know what that is. And that shows you sort of that the QAnon is a sort of the unfiltered, distilled conspiracy mongering, but has reached far beyond its its adherence. That, my friends, was Jeff Charlotte on how Americans are willing to believe anything as long as it aligns with their pet political prejudices. Note to self, after Trump is out of office, might have to reboot as a strictly conspiracy theory busting podcast called Gullible's Travels. This week, we invited punk rocker Dr. Daryl Wilson into our digital salon to talk about why coronavirus is no bullshit and how to keep up the good fight in a world where Trump accuses Joe Biden of coming for your suburbs, like in the Descendants song, Suburban Home. I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified. We'll also go to the Ixnay hotline and hear from an ER nurse on the front lines of Houston's coronavirus outbreak, where the real-world impact of Donald Trump and Greg Abbott's policies are being felt in less than optimal ways. But first... Polling looks strong for Biden this week, and while Joe isn't personally inspiring to most of us, his emerging positions are tacking with what American voters want, a national reconciliation that favors civility and public discourse, along with an avowed support to strengthen health care, empower labor unions, and protect American jobs. As a newly minted political consultant myself, I'd say that's a good strategy, Joe. On the dark side, polls suggesting Trump's losing his grip on power will surely be used as bulletin board material, like some Bill Belichick bullshit aimed at mobilizing the worst reactionary impulses in swing states. Remember, swing states hold our fate. Keep your eye on the prize. And I gotta add, if you need it, use the Art Bell-inspired brain focus I introduced in episode two. It's powerful mojo. Just visualize election night 2020 being one of the great parties of your life. That's it. Imagine winning November 3rd. Enough with the hogwash. Let's get to it. 
The opinions expressed by Dr. Wilson are his own and in no way reflect the policy positions or political beliefs of his employer, its hospital system, or affiliates. We're over the moon to welcome Daryl Wilson, medical doctor, punk rock singer for the band Bow Weevils, and all-around articulate American. Dr. Daryl, hello and ixnay. Hey, Trace, thank you for inviting me on ixnay. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's all my pleasure. So here on ixnay, we've been encouraging people to call our hotline and leave like a political scene report, but it's been hard to get people to do it, possibly because they miss the maximum rock and roll reference. As our first guest who not only knows what a maximum rock and roll scene report is, but has actually been in one, tell us about the Chicago scene today. So, I mean, if you're looking at Chicago, I mean, it's it's still my kind of town. I'll tell you that much. Um, I happen to be, you know, outside of Chicago in one of the western suburbs. Um, But I mean, we're we're living in a real different time, and I think it's everywhere. The scenes are 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 a little kind of wild and crazy. And um, in Chicago, at least, I think the scene it's still pretty pretty kicking. We've got. You know, people that are definitely looking at protecting other people when it comes to, um, you know, wearing masks when they need to do that. Um, we're looking at individuals who definitely are standing up and championing the Black Lives Matter movement. So um, I, I think our scene's pretty vibrant. Um, there's definitely, as any scene has, there's boneheads in the scene. We've always had it in the scene. So, um you know, there's there's those folks that definitely march to a different drummer and have different laces on their on their boots, and you know who they are. So um, they they seem to have the light shined upon them a little bit better. So they've crawled out of the woodwork, and there's a lot of people that want to start stomping cockroaches in some senses. But there's a lot of work to do. With every scene, you always have to keep working at it. You know, one time your scene's doing mostly hardcore shows, the next thing you know, you're doing emo shows. I think we're kind of in a hardcore phase right now. I want us to get a little bit more emo so we can actually start being emotionally more, you know, responsive. Um, not, not too just to Brazil, maybe a more jawbreakery, but not just <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, love both bands anyway. So we got to just keep it going. And, and I think our, our scene is still pretty vibrant and there's a lot of youthful energy in the scene. That's the good thing. There's youthful energy in the scene and that's keeping it going. Old guys like me can watch, look back and go, I, I see a lot of promise and it gives me hope. Yeah, very cool. You know, I think the scene in the abstract, especially as we're referring it to it as kind of a punk rock scene, was a super important part of my life. And it was about standing up and saying something. And I saw the other day your quote was that when you're silent, nobody has to listen. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, if you look at this over time, I mean, we, people like to to say that they don't hear you know, individuals speaking up when, uh, you know, a black child is shot, shot on the south side of Chicago. And there have been many, many protest preachers, you know, families marching, um, organizations that are out there all the time looking at violence in cities. But people don't listen to that. People don't hear it. They don't see it because many people who have now had their eyes opened have never had to look towards those environments. They've never walked in those spaces. You know, it's the idea of, of white space and black space and things like that. 
and what people think of as just space, you know, sometimes me walking in that space, it's me walking into a space that's white space per se. Um, and somebody believes that they may not even know that they think it's white space, but that's what the presumption is that the presumption of norm is that it's white space, but coming into what would be considered black space where people say kind of these words that we all hear as dog whistles, such as, you know, that's a bad neighborhood. What does that really mean? It's a bad neighborhood. They have like, bad food there that you know the parking's hard I mean, what does a bad neighborhood mean and we all know what that means it, when people say that it predominantly means that there are people who are poor and black that live in those neighborhoods and in those neighborhoods where there's not a lot of opportunity you know violence occurs and when we talk about violence against individuals you you know, you usually have violence that's got onto individuals that are next door to you. And if you live in neighborhoods predominantly with black individuals, you're going to shoot black individuals. So when people start, you know, talking about not ever hearing people standing up to say, wow, that's horrible that that child was shot. Nobody's marching in the streets. People have been doing that for a long time, but nobody ever listened. And so when they don't listen, it doesn't seem to exist. So all they hear is silence. And now that people are really speaking up and causing a disruption to individuals' everyday activities, they're watching, they're marching into the spaces that are considered not spaces they should be in. Now suddenly everybody's aware. And now they can see this. And what they do, of course, is they push back and say, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't say this. You should be quiet. You should do this in a way that's more respectable. And it's like, well, respectable in what way? You've never respected anything that comes from us in the first place. Why now are you demanding that something be respectful per se? And what does respectful mean to you? Of course, silent protests that have happened for many times. You see Martin Luther King would march. And of course, bricks were thrown at the guy. And Cicero, I mean, bricks were thrown at the guy. And because people didn't want to see that. It was a silent protest. It was peaceful. But you know what? Violence then gets thrown upon that. Or Colin Kaepernick kneeling. At that point, wh what can you do? At that point, what can you do to actually then state there's something wrong here? And it, when individuals basically take their you know ears out and say, I'm not going to listen anymore because I don't like what you're saying. I can't get with you because what you're doing to me is the wrong way to do this. And you have to tell me what the right way to do this is. Once again, it's exerting a power that you think you exert over individuals who you deem to not be worthy of having the ability to speak out and say, this is wrong. When in fact, if you believe in the dream of what America is, the, 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 the concrete things we put down and say, this is what America is. It's supposed to allow us to speak out against those wrongs. People did that before. That's why there was revolution. 1776 spoke out and said, we're not paying a tax. We're not being taxed without representation, right? So if suddenly it's like, I, I want to have representation too, as a citizen of the United States of America, to have the inalienable rights to have freedoms to go in whatever space I want. That's what freedom is. But you're going to block that? Or you're going to be say, I won't listen to it because I don't hear you? That's the problem. That's dangerous. That's, that's basically putting individuals on an island to try and survive on their own, yet they're surrounded by all kinds of, you know, food and shelter. And you're like, well, I, I can't hear you because I'm over here doing this. You screaming about that. That's not the way to ask for this. Well, people have to ask that way and you don't hear them. 
they're going to take. It's, it's like children. And I hate to use the example of children. When a child needs something and they are an infant, the only way they can get your attention because they can't speak is they have to actually have a visceral response to hunger is to cry so that you then hear the cry and you go to aid them. So when other human beings are crying out saying we need aid, by human nature, we should actually respond to them and say, let me help you so that you're not in pain, that you're not having hunger. But as we age, somehow we turn that part of our bodies off. That level of empathy that we should have turns off because we become selfish and, and not selfish in the way of like, I want to be great myself. It's selfish in the way of don't take my things. I'm afraid you're going to take my things. So I'm not going to listen to you anymore because what you're asking for is something I don't want to give to you. So there's an irony. I was just thinking as you were talking, they want you to protest via the bureaucracy when their whole thing is we hate the government. We hate bureaucracy. How the hell are you supposed to complain? They don't want you to, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick kneeling is like, what was so heavy about that? It's just, they just talk out of both sides of their mouths all the time. It literally is just complain, complain, woe is me. It's a little tiresome. And the people don't see it for that. It's insane. It's it's doublespeak. It's newspeak. It's all those things that you get concerned about. When individuals suddenly take the idea of your protest and they turn it on its head and make it into something that it isn't. And then you already have to have individuals that have a cult-like mentality that will then buy into that continued mantra that is actually out there. I mean, it's like, you know, watching Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom and you've got, you know, Moam Ra out there who's like Um Nam Shabai and pulling out people's hearts. And, you know, you got to suddenly take, you know, a, a, a torch and burn them like, you know, Short Round did to burn Indy and say, Indy, wake up. And you got to burn them. And you have to inflict some kind of pain to make sure that people wake up from that spell that was cast upon them and get them out of that cult and then bring the kids back and get all the Shankara stones back and then the water comes back and the world's better. That's what we need yeah. to do. Ixnay movie, movie night of the week. <laughs> Putting aside the fact that Americans shouldn't take health advice from a married man who bangs porn stars without a condom, <laughs> in dealing with the coronavirus, could Donald Trump possibly have handled things worse? Yeah, he could have gone around and sort of given it to people. He could have had it like in some kind of a, you know, containment unit and spraying it on, uh, you know, communities. That would have been the worst thing. I mean, really, if you think about could it get worse? I mean, like that, that's probably pretty level stuff people. there. I mean, that's dystopian, way dystopian stuff. Like he's riding around like in a Mad Max suit and, you know, he's got a face mask. Oh, I'm going to spray you with this, you know, come with me. That, that kind of stuff, that'd be probably the worst thing right there. But, but I mean, the handling so far has not been very uniform and has been very problematic. I mean, it, it, you think about it from this standpoint, our, our nation is a, you know, a chimeric nation. It, it's, it's a mosaic of things. And yes, every area is not going to be the same, an urban area versus suburban area versus a rural area. All these places are very different. But at least having some kind of a template to work from to say, sure. nationally, we're going to be doing this. Work from a national template of something to give some kind of semblance of here's how we're going to start. States might have to do things differently. Communities have to do things differently. But here's your template you're working from versus you're on your own. And, you know, hey, making sure that healthcare providers have the proper equipment to make sure that they can actually continue to fight this fight. If it's truly a war that we're fighting, make sure you supply the soldiers with the 
armament to fight that war. So having a, a, a truly national response that would have been cohesive and saying, this is what we're going to do versus a response of, I don't believe science. So, <laughs> you know, we're just going to do what we want because science is not to be believed. Science has helped us throughout many, many times. I mean, the idea of, you know, having vaccinations in the first place. I know there might be some people out there that don't believe in that, which is crazy. But, you know, I don't see many people not walking around with polio. And I said that right. really to say not walking around because you're not walking around when you got it. So, so that's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't see people, you know, suddenly having outbreaks of smallpox. You know, thank God for that. Yeah. Um, so, so yay science, you know, yay the ability to have science to help us to maybe survive longer as human beings on this planet. But if you want to just throw science out the window, good luck. Good luck. You know, good luck getting that flying car that you want. <laughs> yeah, the jetpack. <clears throat> yeah, well, as a, I would say as a fan of the medical community from the sidelines, I would imagine this has brought you guys a lot closer together, even though the way the federal government has put you all in your own little total autonomous zones, essentially, you kind of have all got this united feeling of like nobody's paying enough attention. But so I guess my question is, are there some medical professionals who think the Trump administration is doing a good job? Um, you know, I would I would very... I guess I would loosely use the word professional in that standpoint, to be right. quite honest. Um, I mean, there, there's people have differing opinions because we're people. But I mean, to refute things that are in front of you, you have to have this massive amount of cognitive dissonance to actually do that, which which is to me is baffling and is somewhat pathologic. So it's like, what's what's the agenda that somebody has to to discount that? people in our nation can be exposed to an illness that could lead to them dying and that we need to do the things that are, you know, scientifically put in front of us, the basic things that we've learned in our teachings and our training that allow us to actually fight against an illness such as handling. Would you go into the operating room and not wear a mask because you know that really the mask is there truly to protect that patient who's open in front of you that you're not going to then start Maybe you have a little bit of a, you know, a little sniffles that day and you don't want to drool or sniffle into the, you know, abdominal cavity when you're working, hence you wear the mask, you know, you know, learning that, you know, hand washing was important back when women were delivering and what is it, was it Florence Nightingale that said this and hey, wait, you know what, sterile technique might actually save women from dying because they're getting septicemia. I know, but it's literally like, it's like what we learned in the Civil War. Maybe start washing off some of these things. Yes, it's like, boy, that's maybe using sterile dressings, clean dressings, and cleaning a wound might actually help prevent illness from occurring. So to have individuals arguing against and try to use pseudoscience to argue against the use of masks or that the disease isn't as severe as it is, all those things, it, it basically then clouds everybody else's judgments because you're looking to us as professionals to at least have some semblance of knowledge behind it and to tell you as the person who trusts us, these are the things that you should do. So when you have two professionals, you know, debating, it then becomes a, a, you know, a contest in who has the populist kind of 
appeal that people are like, well, I just believe them because I like that person. It was like, well, the like on it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. Um, if they told you to, you know, uh, inject, you know, chlorophyll into your body and think that at that point that that's going to allow you to absorb sunlight as an energy source, would you start doing that? And some people would. I mean, look, we have a lot of pseudoscience out there. People go to lots of places to receive the, the care that they think they need, that they right. want to get because they want to hear right. what they think is right. Sometimes we have to understand that we're going to hear things that don't match up to our worldview. It's like if somebody tells you that you have, you know, metastatic cancer, whatever cancer you have, and they say it's stage four, it's terminal, we can do this palliative care for you. And I don't believe I have cancer. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, that fungating mass that's actually growing out of your chest is the cancer. No, I don't have it. Like, whoa, that's like, how do you see that every day? What are you talking about? I don't see anything. I mean, that's their brain, which is a powerful organ, just trying to protect them from their fear. Yeah, denial. But are there professionals out there that definitely are, are shills for you know snake oil? Of course, are they've been around forever, and people are still buying snake oil for some odd reason because you know what? It fits their worldview of I don't want to do this because I'm afraid. So if I maybe wipe this juju on my body, I'll be okay. Or if I listen to that guy, he says what I like. I'm going to follow his words until until the harshness of reality comes into play and they get sick or something happens to their loved ones. They followed that advice and now it's like, oh geez, this is all real. I'm sorry, I didn't believe it. Now it's real to me. Yeah, see Chuck Woolery. But that's again, you get that torch and burn like Indiana Jones, maybe we can get him back. Now's the time of the show where we talk about sponsors. Almost every podcast has a moment where they ask supporters for donations, sometimes via a subscription service like Patreon. But you know, we're not just a podcast, we're a super pack. So, well, maybe just play it. That's a little something we like to call backmasking for dollars. Now you'll never be able to tell, but it's a fundraising message in reverse designed to subliminally encourage whoever hears it to send money to Ixnay. Can you hear it one more time? Now I know what you're thinking. Subconscious messages? What the hell? I saw HBO's Watchmen. But we're only using rock and roll style backmasking as a way to raise money. We're not Satanists after all. The beauty of this scheme is that we can play the message from time to time and you won't even be bothered to notice that we're begging, well, maybe more like persuading you to give us money. I think you'll agree that as a fundraising strategy, that's pretty cool. Less intrusive and even less demanding of your conscious yet receptive mind. So just relax and let us ixnay your troubles away while you donate early and often, even if you don't know why. I mean, I don't really understand what goes on with people's minds if they don't want to give medical science the benefit of the doubt. Just the benefit of the doubt. Like, what's so hard about putting a mask on? It's not that big a deal. My God, people have been wearing shirts and shoes into convenience stores forever. Except in Florida. Except in Florida. And, and I have friends in Florida. I know you guys are still wearing shirts. I hope you guys are because some of you guys are really out of shape. But um, the reality is that, you know, the, remember in the beginning of this, we were all heroes. We were the, the people. Oh, you medical people, you guys are heroes. You guys are the superheroes. You guys right. are the best. Yeah, and and it, yeah, clapping and music being played and you get let's get food for you. You're starving. It's like no, we're not. We're just doing what we do as a part of our everyday profession, and we appreciate that. But I knew 
I knew, and I said to my colleagues and to my friends, I'm like, no, it's going to happen. They're going to turn. We're not going to be heroes in a while because we have an attention span of a chihuahua. For, for me, I find it to be somewhat distressing that there are individuals that would throw things in the face of science and throw things in the face of the heroes that they were so you know, beating their chest about before and now be like, well, you know, F this, I'm, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to go hang out here. I'm going to not wear masks. It's like, why, why would you then start putting knives into our backs? Why would you then start trying to undermine the safety net that's here to catch you when you fall? Why are you cutting the rope? Why are you cutting the, you know, the straps to your parachute? Like we're trying to protect you. Yeah. So um, I just find that to be the, the most, you know, the, sometimes the saddest thing about it is that people will turn tail really quick when they become just tired of it. And it's like, it's not for me anymore. Um, and and the, the other saddest thing is that many people that have turned away from it because they don't think it's going to affect them. If suddenly you're realizing that the demographics of the disease process are affecting, you know, you know, people that are black, Latino and, and poor, it's like do individuals who don't have to worry about their need to have to go to work, that they can social distance much easier, that they didn't have these concomitant medical conditions that were a part of the, the unfortunate condition of many people in the black community and Latino community for a long period of time before COVID. COVID just made it more visible. It was always there. So many people then can conveniently just walk away. That's your privilege, just walk away. But the reality is if you don't take care of that mole that's on your arm and it happens to be melanoma and it continues to grow, it's gonna affect the whole organism. So you should yeah. fix the problems when you can. And I think once again, looking at that scene report, the youth of today, they are really looking at things and going, wow, there are some issues that we have that need to be fixed because we all live here together on this planet. And we need to make sure that we can all survive as human beings because that's all we got. You know, that's right. all we got. Well, I think that that leads us to this whole point. It's like, what do you talk to your kids about this? I mean, they want to send them back to school. I can dig that. School's cool. But I mean, I just think sending a bunch of little kids who can carry the disease and might not even get sick, although some might get sick, and then giving it to the teachers to pass to someone else. It just seems like a horrible idea at the moment. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem well thought through, you know, when it comes down to things. You're getting information or at least a push from the federal government to say, do, do, do. And it's like, well, what, what's the rush on that? Are, are we really going to put the most fragile individuals at risk? And then sometimes you think about that and go, of course they would. If, if you can have an issue like a Sandy Hook occur where individuals get slaughtered violently and you say you care about life, at that point, where's the thing of let's protect individuals from these weapons, which is we as emergency physicians find that to be a public health issue as well. So it's a public health thing we're looking at here. It's not a partisan thing at all. It's about right. human beings and health. I mean, I think sending the kids back to school where they'll interact with teachers, people who drive buses, people who were like Donald Trump driving around with a van spraying it everywhere. It just seems like a really, really bad idea. You know, I mean, we don't really want anyone to get sick, but I, 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 you know, my son missed a lot of the seventh grade and I thought, you know what? 
Seventh grade is bullshit. Who cares? He didn't. He didn't miss a goddamn thing. I think he really didn't miss a goddamn thing. You know, I mean, I don't want him sitting at home playing Minecraft or whatever all day long. But what are we talking about here? Some kid might not work on his long division a little bit for a few months. Hopefully, I mean, God willing, it goes away, right? Or we're gonna have to come up with a whole new plan. But just sending kids back out on—it's just so crazy that the government demands we do things sometimes, but they don't really want to do anything. Well, the governors are going to take care of it, or the school districts are going to take care of it, but we want you all to go, and we don't really want to even give you a bare-bones idea of how to keep us all on the same page. Yeah, why, why would they use science at all? Just ignore that. I mean, that's right there in front of you, and he's like, we're just going to ignore the science. Okay, well, that sounds like the worst plan ever. It's like, yeah, there's a hole in your boat. You can plug it with this. Now we're going to ignore the hole in the boat. We're just going to keep on going and see if this boat stays afloat. It's insane. But let's get back to something that you mentioned earlier. I mean, I'm just thinking President Trump mentioned that Joe Biden wants to destroy suburbs like where you live. So are you excited to vote for Joe Biden with his war on suburbs? Wow. You know, when you put it that way in your new speech twist, you know, I'll, I'll say I'll twist it back because I'll play some jujitsu with those words. War on suburb. Has Donald Trump ever been to a suburb? He doesn't I, even know what a <laughs> suburb is. I, my, my, my take on that is this, and I, as I try to jujitsu this back into another way, um, I'm excited to vote for the Democratic nominee because I'm not just voting for that individual. I'm voting to make sure that we have justices in place going forward that will help to continue to make laws that actually are just across the the nation. Um, there's a lot of damage that's been done already with people that have been placed in uh, positions of lawmaking, and um, we we we, we some, right now to turn back that clock is going to be very difficult. We have to start at least yeah, yeah. stopping the momentum of how things are going forward. And that's the thing. It's like you know the the, the Example of you know you, you have a a, um, a a body that has it's a trauma patient and you have to start triaging and prioritizing where you have to then start putting your you know all your gumption in. it's the ABCs at first airway breathing and circulation making sure that those things are okay you may have this deformed you know extremity you've got this you know nasty looking femur fracture that's open bone sticking out and I'm going. Yep, but you know what? The first thing is this patient's altered, their mental status is bad. Let me get them intubated first so I can actually protect their airway. Make sure they're breathing, get their blood pressure controlled, then I'll take care of that femur. But people are staring at the femur fracture. That femur fracture so bad. It's like, let me just take care of this problem and right the ship as best I can to stop the breathing. Right, right. And yeah, so, yeah. yes, I'm excited to vote for an individual that's not going to destroy the suburbs because that's not going to happen. That's just, once again, this, you know, continued rhetoric that's out there to try and win over white suburban women voters to say what's going to happen. And it's newspeak for, guess what? You're going to let the black people in. Yeah, More black totally. people than the one that you know. You're going to let the people in that aren't the ones that, that you know, those yeah. ones that were protesting out there who were actually white kids in the suburb protesting. You know those kids? They're going to yeah. invite their friends that they're protesting for and they're going to come over. No, not the one guy you know is a doctor. Not that guy. He's okay. He's an okay guy. He's not one of them. He's one of us. But the new ones, those other ones, they're going to invite him into the suburbs. And it's going to be just a whole carnage. The landscape's going to be all destroyed. You know, I, it, it, this has been going on since Barry Goldwater and all those days. Every, this has been talked about forever. forever. Yeah, from, from day from one. Day one. Yeah, from day yeah, one. From day one, one it's, it's a, so once again, no one was hearing it because you didn't have to listen to it. Yeah. But now yeah. you might be hearing, once again, those dog whistles being blown that say, 
Um, what I'm saying to you is, I think that the blacks are coming. Yes, they are coming in droves. They're coming out. Remember we blocked, remember we redlined them out? Remember we didn't give them loans to actually yeah. come out there in World War II and they thought, remember those times? Well, can't do that anymore because people are pissed about it. So we'll find another way. If you vote for me, I'll make sure that we'll continue to have laws in place that will keep you protected. I'm surprised he hasn't offered to build a wall around suburbs. He loves the wall analogy. Back to something a little more lighthearted. It's like in, in 2005, I made this documentary about DJ Screw in Houston. And we went and interviewed one of these guys who was in the uh, screwed up clique, which it's so weird that George Floyd was apparently in that group too, yeah. interestingly enough. But anyway, this guy, uh, Dopey, he, we went to his house and he had this sign on his door. It says, don't bring chickens or you can't eat animals in my house. He was like a veggie. He was about Humpty Dumpty. And it's always stuck with me. He's like, Humpty Dumpty, he fell off the wall and he cracked his shell. You got to pick a side. You got to pick a side, right? You can't just sit up there like that. So, and I realize these are just lyrics, but in 95, you had the song Fence Sitter, which was kind of about not getting yes. involved in partisan politics or bullshit, not trying to take a side. So, but clearly we're not sitting on the fence anymore. No. Today, what's changed? You know, I, well, one, that video was filmed by the mighty Jason Mojica, by the way, just to point that out. He did that, all of that. Didn't put it, did, forgot to put the band in the video, though. Forgot to put the band in the video. So it was an artistic thing. It was great. There was a guy who looked like me in the video, but it's like, it was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what's changed today is that, number one, is that everyone was is locked down in their homes. They're not distracted by a whole bunch of other things. I, you didn't have to take your kid to swim practice and take your kid to ballet practice. You, you weren't out doing anything except for you're going probably to your place of work or working at home. And you were fixated on just being in the moment of everything instead of trying to look for moments ahead of you. And with that, suddenly people had their eyes opened very, very wide to what was happening that they may have been able to kind of brush off because they were too busy, suddenly they're like, holy crap, this is what happens. But, but see, it's not anything new. It's not anything new. For many people, it was new because they finally had a moment that they were caught sitting still. Right. Instead of moving away and moving and doing something. So for those of us that have witnessed these events taking place throughout time, you know, you look at, you know, what happened with, and until you look at what happened, you know, in, in the 60s and 70s with the, you know, long, hot summer where, you know, they had the summer of love, which is actually summer of blood, where you had multiple individuals who had suffered at the hands of, you know, police brutality. Then you look at Rodney King and you look at these events that have happened over time. You look at what happened with the civil rights movement in general, where people saw a, a visual of what was happening to other human beings, where suddenly they had dogs turned on people and water cannons turned on people and people were like that's happening and people became active right and then people then shut down because they could but now when people couldn't be active and they were so filled with angst of what to do yep. it made people explode where they're like we got to do something i got to get rid of this pent-up energy and i see there's a wrong and the the good thing like i said you get 76 percent of people this is the majority of people are like this is not right. So when you're picking where you stand, it's like, do you stand on the side where you go, well, I'm going to support, you know, the idea of having uh, statues that have uh, oppressive viewpoints that have been expressed up and stand on the side of a, a 
white supremacy. I'm, that's where I'm, I'm going to pick that side. And you're going to, if you, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, that's the side you're going to pick, boy, you, you've got some really, really powerful cognitive dissonance to say that's the right side to be on. Yeah. But when most people are looking out and saying, holy crap, I, I want to stand with moving human beings in a forward direction because once again, we have to survive as a species. That's what it's inherent in us is to survive as a species. The, the thing that we have to see is that now people have had the opportunity to say, I see a wrong and they can't sit back and say, well, I'm too busy to really get. It's people are like, where do you really stand? And it's, it's become, you know, a little harsh in some senses where friends suddenly look at each other and it's almost like this weird, you know, cold civil war, you know, <laughs> you put it in that sense that people suddenly are like, what side do you stand on? And you ask people and people are complex where they might have viewpoints that say, here's where I go. But it's like, but you're allowing that other stuff to happen. Like, how can you allow it? You say you're off because of the, the stock market's booming. Oh, yeah. okay. How many people are invested in the stock market besides 9% of you? What does it even mean? Right. What, so, so, okay. I, I benefit from the stock market doing great. Good. But I also benefit from human beings surviving on the planet together yeah. and not being at war with one another. That's the first thing you look at is like, maybe the real issue is like, maybe I should look at how I make sure that we stay together as humans and we move forward so that we can live. And that seems just logical. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a religious person in any way, shape or form. And you know, but I do believe that there's good and there's evil. I do believe yes. that those two things exist. Evil is something that is contrary to humans existing in a longer period of time. If you as a human do something that is going to cause the extinction of us as a species, that is inherently evil. Because what you are doing is you hate yourself. You hate survival. You yeah. hate your life. Because you're saying, I want to wipe out other human beings, which means you could be wiped out as well. Why would you do that? That is against self-preservation. And the self-preservation of your body, inherent good is to say, I want to survive. I want to live. And to live, we do better as a group of individuals. To survive on your own, to hunt on your own, to harvest on your own, to survive, it was difficult. Hence, we had to get together and form tribes. You know, And so now that we are this truly global you know, community, we have to start looking at if we are doing things that destroy the environment that we need, because we need to breathe clean air, we need to have, you know, clean water. If we are looking at keeping everybody uneducated so that they can't understand how to keep themselves safe and how to not get injured and take up resources that be necessary when people get sick. If we take can't away the right to vote. vote. Yeah. You can't train people to say, go out and make a decision to, to vote in your best interest to, to fix all of these things. Right. If we had a basic tenet of saying, you know what, there's food, there's shelter, there's, you know, there's education. You got those things. We're good. You're good. You got the basics because we're all going to live. Now, if you want more, you got to work harder to get those things. That still has capitalism involved. You can work more to get those things. Yeah. But all these yeah. other basic things you don't got to worry about. You can't get sick. You got to come home. Cool. We got you because we care about families. We care about kids. We care about life. But when everything you do is contrary to that, that is inherently evil. So I, I think that, once again, there's a choice and people want to argue that their side is the good, evil or good. 
but it's, it's, you throw these arguments that seem so illogical. You, they, they, you talk about life, but it's you crazy. don't really give a shit about life. It's like, really? It's just, just protesting too much. I, to, to bastardize that Jep Foxworthy joke, it's like, if you're on the side that all the racists are on, you might be a racist. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, well, let's, Daryl, let's do, we can't, we bother you for long enough. So let me get you out of here on this one. It's kind of a nonpartisan musical question. If you could book any band on a bill, maybe a band that you've played with before or you've never played with, and you could share the stage with them, what would that band be? Is it only one band? Yeah, just one. You just got to choose one band. Well, you could choose a few if you want. You could choose some alternatives. I don't want to put too much pressure on you. I just thought there might be one that you're like, we never got to play with them. I would love to have played with them. Descendants. That's the one. Oh, there you that, go. But, and Bad Religion, of course. I mean, those are the two. It's like Bad Religion and the Descendants. But Descendants is like, if I had one, it's the Descendants. And, that, and that, I've said that, oh, is there like... That's 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 my favorite bands ever. with Milo original with yes. Milo singing. Yes. Yeah. So Descendants, that's right there. I can tell you a funny story in that's not really a funny story, but in 1984, I went to this place. I was living in L.A. and I went to the Cathay de Grand, which was this punk rock spot. And that night, Bad Religion and the Angry Samoans played oh, every oh. song. They played every song they had ever recorded. And the whole night only took about 35 minutes. It was incredible. And there was only really about maybe 25 people there, including people working there. You, you must know that, Trace. You, you must know that. See, Angry Samoans is one of my favorite bands ever. That got me into punk rock. Yeah, dream, dream to watch Bad Religion and them together. That means it's like, I would I would have died. That's like, that's dying. Man, I, I was like, I saw it, you know, you saw, I saw a flyer for it. I had been their place a bunch, but, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. They're both going to be there. And they just got up and they just went through it. It was like, there was no stage even. They're just standing in the middle of the room. <laughs> I, 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 that right there makes me get goosebumps because I wish I could have been there with you. That is amazing. Well, then we could book that. We could book that. I'll be there. It could be Angry Samoans, Bad Religion, and the Bow Weevils. I would do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I, heartbeat. And well, maybe Milo will come there and drink some beer at the bar with us. Heartbeat. I'm there. I would. And at that at that point, I can just then say I've done all I can on this planet. I'm late to rest. I love you, family. I'm kissing you goodbye. And I would just lay down and just go and float away, become heat energy for the rest of the universe. I'm all good with that. I'm all good. <laughs> but um, yeah, that would be an awesome, you know, post-election party. You know, there you go. I'm, I'm also. Well, we got to make there. we got to make sure everybody votes yes. before I start booking bands. Yes, voting is super important, and, and, and people have to. You can't sit back and look at polls and and think that. Oh, well, everything's okay. I mean, if you if you're not going out actively finding a way to vote, and make sure that places that are looking at trying to suppress voting and take away the ability for people to vote by mail, it's like, come on, let let's be realistic about this. To to suddenly have this new speak that's thrown out once again to cloud people's visions and say, "There's oh, this is completely ridiculous. You can't do that." No, this has been done throughout antiquity. There's nothing that's going to change. The reason why you want to suddenly change something, change the rules, is because you know that you can't win by playing by the rules. So let, make sure that people people have to get out and exercise their right to vote. Just like people have been exercising their First Amendment right to speak, you know, you got to go to the polls and let everybody know this is what you want um, to change. And there are many people that are out there saying, but I, I can't vote because it's not Bernie, it's not this. It's like, no. You're voting once again to try and stop the boat from sinking. 
And then you have to start writing the boat at that point. And you have to continue yeah. to vote, not just for presidential elections. You have to vote, you know, for your, your lawmakers. You have to vote locally. All those things are super important. I think people forget that that is a real important aspect of voting is voting locally. Know who the people are that are running. Don't just go in blindly and start punching names. It's like know what you're doing. Intelligence. Read things. Investigate. Find out more information. But vote, vote, vote. Vote nationally, vote you know, locally. You have to do that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Darrell. That was thank a killer. Goodbye, Daryl Wilson. For a limited time, we're inviting Americans of strong moral fiber to participate in our Slap 'em Up sticker campaign. For five bucks, we'll send you a pack of Ixnay's classic anti-Trump stickers guaranteed to help you win friends and influence people. You see, around the country, people are stressed out by the current political climate, and we found that peeling the back from these stickers is a kind of self-care. And when followed by boldly or even clandestinely applying them in fun places, a lift of spirit is guaranteed. And that's what I think we all need, a recharge of spirit. America was founded by rabble-rousers protesting reactionary pressure. Think of applying these stickers as a tribute to that revolutionary fervor. So go to ixnapack.org to order your stickers and slap them up, America. It's fun, it's provocative, it's pig Latin. And now, to the phone. The opinions expressed on the Ixnay hotline do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this podcast or our sponsors. Okay, hey Trace, it's Susan calling in from Houston. Trying to provide a little frontline perspective um, from one of the busiest ERs by volume in the city of Houston. And I think that you guys are aware that we are overcrowded and severely understaffed. So we struggle on a daily basis for resources. We're always questioning if we have any vents left, uh, if we have PPE available. Uh, they're recycling our PPE all the time. Uh, we And we also worry about testing, which is where I'm going to focus today. So there was like some loose lip ER doctor talk in the beginning of June Uh, the federal government was no longer going to provide uh, the reagent for the rapid testing. And we all didn't believe that was going to be true. They're like, no way. They would never take that away from us. Um, But it started to become apparent when doctors were um, questioning who gets tested, who doesn't get tested. Um, There was delays um, in the ER all the time because we were running low. So that means it's going to have to be provided by the state or it's going to have to be obtained on our own. Well, Governor Greg Abbott wasn't going to provide this for us. Like, I know that he has state facilities, he has psychiatric wards, he's got nursing homes, he's got jail, all kinds of stuff like that. He's going to provide it for them. Um, so we were definitely going to have to find it on our own. So if you expand that from just like our organization that has 13 hospitals to every organization in Houston, which I think there's like five chains, and then you provide that to the whole state of Texas, right? And then you expand that to all the 50 states. It's, it's like harkens back to that whole like black market PPE stories you were hearing about because now it's a day by, day by day basis. We constantly come in and question if we have the rapid test or if we have like the three day test. It's like this horrible trickle down effect. And since we can't, everyone's like fighting to get this reagent and we don't, we don't know when we're going to have it. 
We're holding patients in the ER like you have never known. So if you need a COVID versus a non-COVID bed on the unit, you have to wait for your test to come back positive or negative. If you need a, you know, a life-saving procedure even, but if you're somewhat stable, you're going to wait for that COVID test. If you need a routine procedure, um, um, but you're admitted to the hospital, but you're stable, you're going to wait for that test because we didn't have any rapid tests that day. We only have the two to three days and it's out. And say you have people who can't go anywhere without this COVID testing. Those people are backing up in the ER, right? We're holding people for two to three days. We're holding ICU patients. We're holding all kinds of patients. That means the staff is more exposed. It means that we're taking care of people that we're not trained to take care of, like ICU patients. Plus, all the people coming in the front door, because we see 250 to 300 people a day, all the people who are coming in from the front door and the people who are coming in from the ambulance bay through emergencies, there's nowhere for them to go. I mean, it's like the wait times are long. There is no staff. We can't even expand our ER capacity because we won't have any staff to put anybody in these rooms. So people are angry. I mean, they're angry. And part of the exhaustion is just taking care of these people. Part of the exhaustion is taking care of these people who are very angry with their, like, four- or five-hour wait. So that's pretty much it. You know, and, like, Greg Abbott, I, I don't even know where to start with Greg Abbott and how he opened up the state too early because, I mean, we are definitely experiencing the hurt. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm glad he's mandated masks now, but it's too late. It's too late. This is We only had that rapid reagent for, like, one month. That was it. That's all the federal government offered us. After that, everyone's cut off. Send for yourself. So I hope that provided some interesting perspective on the Trump administration, their lack of assistance during this pandemic. I mean, it has been truly abysmal. I can't even believe it. Good day. Bye. Stay safe. And to wrap things up, leaving us a rating on iTunes is one of the easiest ways to help us antagonize as many Republicans as possible. Even something as simple as ordering stickers or posters from ixnatepack.org keeps us cranking out ads, radio spots, and video. On the fun side, get involved by simply ringing up the Ixnate hotline at 512-766-8279 and leaving us a scene report. So thanks again for everything. And if you're out on your bike tonight, don't forget, the nature of your oppression is the aesthetic of our anger. Ixnate. You know me, you know me, you know me.